Hey friends, if you wish you weren't hearing an ad right now, then straight after you listen to this episode, head over to curiositystream.com slash not overthinking. For less than $15 a year, you get access to thousands of high quality documentaries on CuriosityStream, and you'll also get a special link to our podcast feed with all of the ads taken out. My name is Ali, I'm a doctor and YouTuber. I'm Taymor, I'm a data scientist and writer. And you're listening to Not Overthinking, the weekly podcast where we think about happiness, creativity, and the human condition. Before we go on, I just want to give a quick shout out to Brilliant, who are our sponsors for this episode. Brilliant is pretty much the best place to learn math, science, and computer science online. A lot of the maths that we're taught in schools focuses on memorizing some method and getting good at repeating that method in an exam. But the best thing about Brilliant is that it actually helps you develop intuition and real understanding of the concepts. They have a great series of courses on the fundamentals of probability and statistics, which I think are a super important topic for everyone in the 21st century. Learning and understanding this stuff will really change the way you see the world. Uh, so go to brilliant.org forward slash not overthinking and the first 200 people to sign up via that link will get 20% off an annual subscription to the site. Big thank you to Brilliant for- Hello and welcome back to Not Overthinking. Tamor, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. We are in the Dominican Republic. I think we recorded the last episode two weeks ago when we were just about to leave. I'm joined here with Mac. Hello again. We're having a good Hello, time. Mac. Yeah. So what's what's the setup like in the in the Dominican Republic? And like like what is the deal? So basically, we have this really sick big house <laughs> um, on this sort of resort kind of thing. It's kind of a resort within a resort. It's like a mega resort with a big wall around the outside. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, there's like a very clear separation between like the resort and the outside world. And yeah, on the resort, there's most of the stuff we need, I guess. And then Tamar just goes out to get Wendy's each day. <laughs> yeah. Wendy's? What's Wendy's? Wendy's is like this famous American fast food chain. There's lots of like memes about it or something. There's a Wendy's. Oh, here. that's right. Is it like pancakes? When, pancakes? No. Wendy's? You're thinking of IHOP, which is... I'm thinking not, about IHOP. Yes. IHOP is, is so it? good. Is it? <laughs> Wendy's is like kind of generic burger burger chain, but they do square burgers because they don't cut corners. Is there is there branding? <laughs> That's quite clever. Yeah, but no, it's a good setup. We've got like a we've got a pool in the garden. We play like we've we've made our own version of like pool volleyball that we play every afternoon. Two v two pool volleyball. Um, there's a sort of beach and walking distance. Hang out there occasionally. Yeah, just vibing, man. And on weekends we go on the resort. Sorry. The beach is on the resort. I mean, yeah, it's, the resort is by the sea. And so like there's a massive chunk of beach, which is part of the resort. What's, what's the weather like? Is it like super warm? Yeah, it's great. It's, it's not like too... Here. It's pretty cold and miserable and rainy in England. Really? Yeah, that sounds yeah. about right. They're also going to they're, they're gonna announce in 20 minutes that we're probably going to go into a full, full-on lockdown again. Oh, mate, since until when? Or like from when? So they're going to announce it in 20 minutes time and they'll, they'll announce a start date as well. Damn. Sounds like we might need to extend our trip. <laughs> <laughs> How much is it costing you to stay there? Mac? Uh, house is like five five K GBP for a month for you've got four bedrooms in there. So each person's like twelve hundred and four hundred okay. for flights. So it's similar to what rent would be in like for example, London or Cambridge. Yeah, same same order of magnitude, definitely. Okay. And then food and all that stuff is separate, presumably. Yeah, it's uh, it's a little bit more expensive because it's it's an island, obviously, and there's some some decent tourist taxes. Um, yeah, like we're we're most the places that we eat out in are like touristy kind of restaurants where it's mostly like tourists and foreigners going there. So cost They're, of living is broadly similar to what it would be in the UK for a month, but yeah, you're in yeah, overnight. Uh, yeah, our cost of living has been similar. 
I think we should find a good local place where we can get super cheap like food and stuff, but we just haven't done that yet. Uh, yeah. So Wendy's until then. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. That sounds like you're having a swell time. What's going I on? Was, I was I was going to come over, but then the whole like sort of when you come back home, you have to then isolate for two weeks. Although now that got we're going minutes. into on lockdown, everyone's going to be isolating for two weeks anyway. So yeah, I don't think that's too much of a concern. We'll see what happens. Yeah. What have you been well, doing the past couple of weeks? Um, mostly just sitting at home, grinding away. Uh, I released a new kind of YouTuber, part-time YouTuber Academy course thing. Oh yeah, how's that going? Oh, it's going really well. Uh, launched on Twitter and Instagram and email. I'm, I'm not even going to mention it on YouTube because we've already kind of maxed out capacity, basically. Nice. Um, and so that's been, that was kind of weird, right? Because I'd been sort of planning this thing for the last couple of months. But then I think about 10 days ago, I just thought, all right, let's do this as a live course. And then Angus, uh, one of my team members, as you guys know, came over and we just sort of planned out the whole course using like post-it notes and stuff. And he was taking notes and I was just kind of talking. And then over the next like few days, everything accelerated so quickly and we just sort of opened up the cart like five days later. Um, and now we've got like 200 and something people in the course and the community is buzzing and people are already kind of making introduction videos. And it's like okay. really cool, but wow. it's like a real sense of pressure now to actually make this like an amazing experience for them. So we've been talking to loads of people and um, loads of people who have experience running these large live online courses uh, to be like, okay, how can we really do things that don't scale in the short term yeah. to make this as an as amazing an experience as it can be in the long term for the students. How are you managing the community on like Slack or Discord or something? We're using Circle. Circle oh, is okay. very good for this. Yeah, it's absolutely, it's like, you know, perfectly designed for this sort of thing. And we've got Podia as our course platform. And that's basically it. Like everything is being handled through those two. And then we're going to preset like Zoom meetings for the live sessions. And we've got loads of bonus stuff as well. So We've got kind of two hour long live sessions, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And then on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we have two hour long homework club where you get together and spend half an hour writing, half an hour filming, an hour editing. And then every single day, we've got a daily kind of Zoom co-working session, maybe even twice a day. And on top of that, four times a week, we have mentor sessions. And on top of that, three times a week. Like, are you doing all of this stuff every single day? Or is it mostly people doing, getting on with it themselves? And then you teach them some stuff a few times a week? Uh, yeah, so I teach them the stuff the three times a week, but then I do, I'm doing office hours another three times a week and homework club this other two times a week. And then my mate Hassan, Hassan Kuba is running the zoom co-working sessions, which I'm going to be joining as well. And yeah, so it's going to be a pretty full on full-time job for the four week period, but wow. that's fine. Should be fun. That sounds pretty sick. When is it starting? Starting on the 15th of November. So, oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, man. The part-time YouTuber Academy. Good times. Although I released a video the, uh, this week about this book by a guy called Jay Shetty called Think Like a Monk and got absolutely crucified in the comments. Really? Because apparently some fringe corner of the internet thinks that Jay Shetty is a scam artist and we're like, oh my God, how can you be supporting this scam artist? Mm. And there, were, there was a comment saying, you know, back in the day, Ali's content used to be good and altruistic and now he's become one of those money-grabbing scam artists promoting other scam artists and he's even got this course mm. where he charges $2,000. Oh my God. And that comment got like 100 upvotes. <laughs> so Whoa. it kind of rose up. Um, how did that make you feel i was i was thinking about this um i think so i didn't know that jay shetty was allegedly a scam artist um and you know he's got like seven million subscribers on instagram my, he's got my like, understanding was that he's yeah. on a spectrum from like ty lopez <laughs> to <laughs> i don't know 
Tim Tim Ferriss. I don't know. Some people do hate Tim Ferriss. Tim Ferriss would be along the spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> okay, who is like who is who is like widely agreed not to be a scam artist? Like Naval or something? I don't know. <laughs> uh, Naval is, 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 is a fake guru as well. Yeah. There's a guy called Martin Lewis in the UK. I don't know if you guys know him. No. Oh, you know he's him? He, he's he's not the perfect end of the spectrum though either. <laughs> not. He, I thought he, he was the most trusted man in Britain. I thought his site was just a, a big, cleverly disguised affiliate scheme. Oh, not. I mean, he's been, he's been voted the most trusted man in Britain, mate. <laughs> okay, basically, it. from Ty Lopez to Mother Teresa. <laughs> <laughs> Mother Teresa. No, 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 I feel like Mother Teresa was problematic. In she some, was, some she's some probably been cancelled, to be fair. Yeah, she like promoted I, I think uh, Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd is widely agreed to be unproblematic. Paul Rudd. No one hates Paul Rudd. I feel like surely he would have done one of those like Black Lives Matter videos and then people would have stopped. No, 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 no. He's, <laughs> he's done really well. He's, okay. uh, <laughs> he's smashing it. All right. So from Ty Lopez to Paul Rudd, where's Jay Shetty? <laughs> so I thought Jay Shetty was like, like fairly unproblematic given that he's been like featured on Ellen and like Oprah and has Michelle Obama on his podcast. And, you know, like these are pretty reasonable. <laughs> like it's a pretty big deal with like 7 million followers on Instagram, 3 million on YouTube. That doesn't happen by accident. But apparently... Um, he, uh, you know, at one point a few years ago, he would quote stuff, but then he would have Jay Shetty written on the quote and not the origin of the quote. So people were like, oh my God, he's taking credit for other people's things. And apparently also he does, you know, he does the standard like selling courses and coaching and stuff. And you, you, you sign up for one course and then he upsells you on another thousand dollar one and yeah, then a $10,000 live program guru type stuff. Yeah. The, yeah. The classic guru things, um, which apparently makes him a scam artist in the eyes of the internet. I think, I think that there's people are object, really object to like the aesthetic of the life coach the life coach aesthetic is yeah. um <laughs> quite distasteful for a lot of people yeah. basically and i think there's like this there's like like this cringe response to like oh life coach <laughs> and then you want to kind of justify the cringe response and it's it's easy to kind of try and brand someone as a scam artist even though you're really just objecting to you know their their job <laughs> while you have your own job <laughs> and you know all that what, what do you think uh yeah i was wondering do you think it's a sense of like financial jealousy in particular i think there is a, i think there's an element of that i think there's an element of like oh these people are like they're basically selling words and that's somehow <laughs> that's somehow it's, not okay <laughs> it's too easy is that yeah 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 it's yeah exactly i think there's something like it's not super tangible it's like yeah yeah i think that's that's like a huge part of it like pre getting into this kind of <laughs> into trying to become a, a fake guru myself um i used to like if if someone had told me that th this guy is promising to be a life coach for ten thousand dollars a month i would be yeah. like what the hell is going on yeah since becoming a fake guru on the internet i now appreciate that ten thousand a month is actually you know a reasonable investment to pay for a life guru if if you're into that sort of thing um but i feel yeah I agree with you in that. I think there is a big cringe response that people have to that sort of vibe. And then all it takes is, you know, someone on the internet to do a Jay Shetty exposed video where it's like, hey, you know, he's got some bad testimonials from his like coaching programs and therefore he's selling snake oil. Therefore he's a scam artist. Yeah. I mean, where does, where is Tony Robbins in this? Am I right in saying that Tony Robbins was like the OG life coach dude in the modern era? I think so. Yeah. Is he considered a scam artist? I think so. I have heard some people be like, "Oh, yeah. Tony Robbins guy isn't he like some scammy life coach kind of guy?" Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sure some people think that, uh, but he has well, he's 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 very successful. It's it's hard to be very consistently successful as a as a snake oil salesman. I think that's something that I've well, okay. Well, no, no. What do you mean? What do you mean by successful? 
It's uh, by whatever. Def- yeah, rich. By- you can you can definitely get rich by selling snake oil, right? You can't get rich by selling snake oil consistently. And there are always going to be more people falling into the honey trap. In yeah, in theory, I don't know. Like, I, f- I, I find it hard to believe that if you were selling a product that didn't get people results or that didn't work in some capacity or that didn't provide value, and you were doing that for forty years, it, I okay. No, no, wait, wait. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, so with Tylo, I I really need to look into Tylo Vest because recently he and do you know Andrew Wilkinson, the guy who runs Metal Lab, and oh yeah. Yeah, Andrew Wilkinson has <laughs> by metal app. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Andrew Wilkinson has recently taken to fighting Ty Lopez on Twitter quite regularly. <laughs> okay, and like trying to trying to claim that Ty is a scam artist. And I haven't like gone too in depth on this, um, but Ty in the replies and stuff, Ty basically seems to be saying, "Look, the stuff I'm doing now is actually quite legit." You know, I'm I'm I like buy and sell e-commerce businesses. And, you know, I do, I do some life coaching stuff on the side or whatever. But it, I, I get a very strong vibe that Ty Lopez was pretty much a scam artist in many ways a while back. You know, I, th- I think it's widely agreed that he made videos of like rented Lamborghinis and rented mansions and claimed that, oh, you know, this is all this is my, this is actually my oh, stuff. And I, I okay, did it by reading a hundred years a year, you know, like, I think it's, it's possible to start by selling snake oil, a bunch of people like fall for it or whatever, and then kind of figure out some legit hustle along the way. Once you have the audience, once you have like, you know, the capital, the capital, yeah, the starting capital. Yeah. I mean, that seems reasonable. Yeah, yeah, that, idea, that, that, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, it's it's not like you have to be a snake oil salesman for 40 years, but you can do that for five years and then you know turn your life around or something. <laughs> yeah, like, I guess so. <laughs> and then you can you can tell tell your story about how you cleaned up, <laughs> make some YouTube videos about that. <laughs> Maybe an online course. <laughs> exactly. And then you make an online course teaching how you made the online course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's probably your next online course. Uh, actually i think tiago has started an online course for online course creators uh, he has yes yeah. <laughs> an online accelerator program right <laughs> but yeah so that that's my experience with jay shetty although he he, he re- reposted me on his instagram and dm'd me being like hey thanks for the video man so nice yeah we were thinking about do we take this video down or do we keep it up um why would you take it down just because some people commented yeah so that was the thing um Angus and Elizabeth thought, hey, maybe there's value in taking it down here because if he is a scam artist and we haven't done our research, then it looks bad for the brand, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, oh. Dude, you reviewed a book. Like, presumably you're talking about the book. If the book has has merit or whatever, then... No, sure. But but I feel like if I were to do a review of Harry Potter these days, people in the comments would be like, I can't believe you're supporting J.K. Rowling. Even if the book is objectively, like, really good. I feel like... If someone, you know, if someone like Jake, you know, the, the things that people don't like J.K. Rowling for anymore are qualitatively different to just the general sense that this guy might be a bit of a scam artist. But well, yeah, whatever. I mean, yeah, either way, it's, a, it's, a, it's an attack against the individual as opposed to an attack against the work that I'm reviewing. Yeah, sure. But yeah, so that was what was going through my mind. Um, why did I bring this up? I brought this up because, oh yeah, about this course that I'm running. Yeah, so there were there were, there, there there was that comment from some dude. I, I imagine it was a dude being like, "Oh, he's now become a scam artist because he's charging money for his course." Uh, and I think he followed it up with, "Everyone knows that you know growth on growth on YouTube is something you, you can learn for free and that you don't need a course for. Um, therefore, the course is a scam. Therefore, Ali's a scam artist." And so that was interesting. And I haven't 
made a video about this course, partly because I don't need to, but actually also partly in the fear that it would be perceived as um, kind of money grabbing e slash snake oil salesman e slash that, mm-hmm. all, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I've just sort of outsourced it to the next cohort when I will plug it on YouTube probably to be like, okay, I'll, I'll think about this then when I have more, yeah, just like more responses to it. Yeah, I think the thing is that like, I think the general sense of like creators and influencers is that they make a lot of money but it, at the same time it's distasteful for them to be for them to come across like they want to make a lot of money you know like david dobrik never you know basically i i think he's he's very like intentionally made his thing around like giving away money more more than like you know keeping money for himself and like mm. i think he his his youtube videos are all like demonetized or something and he he makes money through his merch i guess he plugs his merch and that's but yeah, he doesn't know merch is seen as an acceptable yeah. grift, but yeah. uh, sort of selling selling IP, selling knowledge is not seen as an acceptable grift. <laughs> yes, I agree. I think, I, I think a really interesting example of this is the sort of backlash there was when Cameo became quite mainstream around the start of lockdown, when people like ex-famous celebrities were going out and kind of recording birthday messages for a certain amount of mm-hmm. money. Like it was widely seen that that was like pe- people were quite angry about that or quite yeah felt quite sad that these once superstars maybe were selling their time like this and they're still they're still commanding like a great hourly rate if you work it out that way so it's not like they're working for pennies do you how did you feel about that do you think that was problematic yeah so i got contacted by a few of these um a a couple of startups kind of doing doing a similar thing and doing kind of interviews with me to be like hey would you use this sort of thing and the reason i said no to them is because like I have no qualms about kind of sending someone a birthday message and have done so on occasions when people message me on Instagram or send me an email. But if I were to actually charge money for it, like my hourly rate, <laughs> you know, my, my aspirational hourly, hourly rate is pretty high. So I'd be charging like, I don't know, 500 to a thousand pounds for a freaking birthday message. And that just looks really freaking bad. <laughs> I think with the birth, I think with like charging large amounts of money for the birthday message, you're directly saying that, look, my time is this valuable and it's implied that your time is less valuable. (laughs) You who is like paying, paying for my time on this thing kind of. Or more that, yeah, that is, that is just a, a very explicit way of talking about money and people's time. Like, like for example, apparently, so when, when Lisa Kudrow gave a talk at at the Cambridge union, she talked about this idea that, you know, the, the friends cast all got like a million dollars per episode. Yeah. And when that got out, apparently at the time people were like really you know some people were like oh my god you know how can these guys think they're worth a million dollars per episode yeah 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 yeah. and she was like that's really tricky because obviously we're not quite worth a million dollars per episode but we've got to think about kind of how much is the network bringing in because of friends and therefore we want to capture some of that value and it just kind of makes sense but if you say a million dollars per episode it just sounds absolutely absurd i think it's similar to it's like a thing within the realm of learning about social skills and learning about charisma and confidence and stuff that as soon as it comes into the realm of being of like overtly communicating stuff at that point it starts to become cringe like if you're seen as someone who reads about charisma to try and become charismatic or who who, who reads about social skills to try and develop social skills at that point you are into the into the sort of covert, into the overt communication realm and therefore and therefore it's seen as a bit cringe Whereas if you, you know, we, we, we all buy into this kind of elephant in the brain thing that these things are natural and we don't talk about this side of things and, and, and stuff. Has yeah, I, I think, yeah, historically, like, the, you know, the narrative is almost that, like, 
ma- making money is allowed to be a coincidental side effect of what you do. <laughs> like if you want to make money, that's, um, you know, that's kind of cringy or, or something like that for, for people who are like celebrities or whatever. Um, I, yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess it's in, for some reason, it's just not a nice idea that, you know, uh, I don't know who's like an actor or something who I really like. Yeah. Like Conan O'Brien. Sorry. Okay. Shah Khan, I was going to say. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I haven't seen much of his stuff. But like Conan, for example, I don't like the idea that Conan would want to make more money. Because uh, he seems like your friend. Conan just because, needs a friend. Is it because the idea of him wanting to make more money implies that he's doing what he does, not because he likes it, but because it's a, just an avenue to get revenue from? Yeah, so I remember when he started his podcast and it had ads on it. I was like, what? Conan, really? You need ads on your podcast, bro? <laughs> and then I kind of thought, well, I guess it's 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 really just another like show. Like, you know, there's commercial breaks on his TV show. The network's paying money. It's it's kind of the same thing, I guess. And you're sure it's it's actually his show, not just kind of run by a network that puts the ads there anyway. And he's just letting them do it. Wait, sorry, what? So there's a difference between like having your own show and like actively going out and like sourcing your own ads. Oh, and I see. having like a, a show on iHeartMedia or something where like the ads are part and parcel of it. Oh, okay. I think in his case, like, it is his own show, but like the network decides the ads and things. I think, yeah. Hmm. I think, yeah, I think just like there are a lot of narratives and like, uh, yeah, just about like money and stuff like that. And yeah, I mean, I think the idea of like wanting to make, if you have a lot of money, the idea of wanting to make money is maybe wanting to make more money is, I don't know, maybe a bit objectionable or something. Like there are plenty of bad reasons to want to make money and it's easy to... And I imagine lots of people who want to make more money probably doing it for the bad reasons. And maybe that's what this is kind of getting at. So but is it the uncertainty of not knowing why he's, make, why he's trying to make more money? Is yeah. It, if he was upfront and clear and said, like, I'm giving some of this away or like putting this towards family's tuition or something, is that? Yeah, yeah. So if, if like, for example, I don't think anyone would have an issue. If, if some, like, celebrity came out and said, look, I'm actually an effective altruist. I'm donating all of my money, <laughs> like all of it. <laughs> and then they're trying to like make more money. I don't think anyone would have an issue with that. So I think the issue does come from like, you know, the, I, I guess some of the more objectionable reasons to want to make more money, like greed and wanting to seek status and things like that. Do you think it's right to assume that when these people do it, they're doing it for one of those negative reasons? No, no, no I don't think it's right. I, I'm just saying that like, may, I think that's maybe where the sort of the cringe response comes from of like, oh man, this like guy who I thought had it all and you know was king like conan you know like king of the world has it all what more could he possibly want and like he wants to he like wants to make more money yeah it kind of reminds me when we talked about the elephant in the brain um the one of the one of the ideas they talk about is about how jockeying for social status is such a fundamental part of life but as soon as it becomes obvious that someone is jockeying for social status at that point it becomes like oh god this is this is cringe and bad and, and, and all these things. And so it's one of those things that we know everyone does it and we systematically choose to ignore it unless it's brought out into the limelight. Do you think that's just because we're ashamed of ourselves shocking for social status and like suddenly when we see someone do it, we, can, we want to kind of distance ourselves from that? So the elephant in the brain guys would, they say that we kind of, we, we, we all need to jockey for social status, but we need to act as if we don't because then that makes it easier for us to deceive ourselves and to deceive other people when we're playing kind of social games, which we all play in to some degree or another. Yeah, but I think I think it's, for example, I think like 
wanting to seek social status is not something to encourage. I think that's something you should try and not to do. I think you can you can object to that while still kind of being stuck in that cycle. Like it's it's a it's perfectly okay for me to think that it's it's bad to like be driven by seeking social status. And at the same time, I like try and seek social status. That, I think that's that's fine. Yeah, that's reasonable. The the other point on the money thing is something that that, that came up. Um, I was having breakfast with uh, Molly and Sheen, so my ex housemate and my current housemate yesterday oh, morning. Yeah. I think it was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and they got on really well. Uh, <laughs> sorry, what was that? I said awkward. <laughs> Very good. Um, and. So what, one thing that I was doing as I was launching this course was on Twitter and on Instagram, I was sharing revenue numbers. Like, oh, yeah. hey, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening and this is awesome. And, you know, the whole, my mindset for this was the whole building in public thing. Like on Twitter, I'd been building in public. I'd been asking people for polls about the name and sort of figuring out course syllabus and sort of th- that was part of it. The other part of it was like its own marketing strategy be like, hey, this course is really popular. Check this out. This is cool. Eh? You, you want to do the same? Sign up to the course, yeah. you know. Tyler Pez scammy kind of vibes. Um, and and then I, I, so I, I was intrigued. So I put a poll on Instagram saying, hey, so I'm openly sharing these revenue numbers. Do you think I should continue doing this or do you not want me to continue doing this? And the way I phrased it was like, yes, it's interesting or no, it makes me feel bad. And it was like 90, 10, like 90% of people were like, yeah, I'll keep doing it. It's interesting. 10% of people were like, no, it makes me feel bad. And the vast majority of the DMs I got were, yeah, man, please keep doing it. You know, this is really inspiring. It makes me want to become an entrepreneur myself, blah, blah, blah. But there were a few DMs that were like, well, uh, I don't really see why you're doing it. And 100% of those DMs were from women. And I, I, A, I wonder if there's anything anything there. But and, and, so, and so I was kind of exploring this with Sheen and Molly, both of whom thought that posting revenue numbers is a bad thing to do. And so we were trying to get get at why it feels like a bad thing to do. And after a bit of back and forth, like, we've sort of landed on on the shared understanding that when you talk about money it's like a powerful weapon that immediately sort of has a very kind of sort of elicits a very strong response in people because money is considered a taboo thing to talk about and so if you're going to use a powerful a powerful weapon like talking about money you want to pair it with like a you know this is how much money i make and this is how i got there and this is how you can get there and in that context it's kind of fine because you're using this powerful weapon as a tool to inspire people. And so my video that I made earlier this year about how much money I make as a doctor and YouTuber was fine in, in their eyes because it was mostly a, you know, this is the journey they took to get there. But kind of repeatedly posting screenshots of revenue numbers on Instagram and being like, oh my God, this is insane. This course is going really well. Is not that. It's using the powerful weapon of money and then just beating people over the head with it, being like, hey, look, I'm just I'm just making more money. And for some people, it's like a, they appreciate that this was like a three and a half year quote, quote, struggle to kind of get to this point where you can then make lots of money overnight. But for a lot of other people who don't, who don't know the backstory, it's like, it's, it's, it's like actively a way of making them feel bad because they're like, he's kind of lucked into this and, you know, he just makes videos and now he's making like large amounts of money. What the fuck? That sort of thing. So yeah, their view was that it's, it's, it's bad if it's not like explicit, like very explicitly, like a tutorial thing that you're, you, you're talking about how you got there. I wonder what your guys take on this would be. So I, I, I saw those tweets with the revenue numbers and at first I thought it was like a marketing strategy. I thought it was a case of social proof. I didn't see the poll. I think if I'd voted in that, I would have said that I'd preferred not to see them. And I think oh, the reason for that is that 
like it's very easy to internalize the sort of stuff that gets talked about and shared on social media. And I, I, I kind of thought in the past, like, wouldn't it be great if there was kind of like a, a hustle blocker plugin for, for Twitter or something that like blocked out any ARR, MRR numbers or something like that? Because I think that subconsciously it's very easy to internalize that as like what's valuable. I think that like, I, I know this sounds like a bit soft or lame, but what I'd want to see is people saying like, I just launched my company and I'm, I'm really happy. I'm like proud that it's kind of gone as planned after all this hard work. And I'd rather like internalize that what's important is them being happy rather than them like reaching a certain MRR or revenue number. Um, and I think that's, yeah, I think internalizing that as a goal is, is more healthy than internalizing like reaching a certain revenue amount. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I fully agree with that. Um, what you're saying kind of posting of the numbers encourages a kind of more number driven mindset which is just generally unhealthy yeah and i think certainly in a in an environment like social media where it's uh it's the kind of most popular stuff that floats to the top if everyone's posting their kind of arrs or revenue numbers it's very easy to to end up in a situation where that's all you see and so it can make you feel bad by contrast if you're like if you're just working nine to five or something but like you're everyone's out there having fun and you're you're stuck inside uh, so to speak okay so would it be similar to would you have a similar objection just possibly on on, like on on the same spectrum but but of of a different magnitude a similar objection to people i don't know posing with their fancy car or sort of taking a photo on holiday that looks very nice as it just kind of feeds into the general my life is better than yours narrative of social media uh yeah i think so i think uh this is probably like a, a small number of cases but i think there probably are some there probably are some people who are like genuinely really happy that they're like able to travel or they have some sort of car and if they're genuinely happy about that then I'm, I'm, i'd like to hear that they're happy about that rather than just to like see the picture of the car and like draw two and two together that like this is the objective it's to have that car or like to visit these sorts of places and then like inevitably by contrast like i'm not in as nice a car i'm not like uh in some crazy holiday destination and so it's easy to to, to feel a sense of kind of internal pressure and stress that you don't kind of live up to those expectations okay and specifically, maybe it's not that you don't live up to those expectations, but it's this idea that this then becomes the goal. Like, this is what you have to aim for. It's not, uh, it, it's not um, like working hard for self-fulfillment. It's working hard so that you can like match what everyone else is doing. Yeah, I think what you've described is a real phenomenon. But is, is the point you're making that, look, your intentions might be great about, you know, your only intention when you're posting these numbers is to inspire other people who want to make YouTube channels to, you know, to kind of inspire them that, oh, you can make money using YouTube or something. Like, even if, even if that's your intention, and even if that's an okay intention, I think that that's actually maybe not true. Um, then, like, the fact that this is such a well-known and widespread thing of, like, social media envy and all this kind of stuff, you know, you should still think about that. It's not just about your intentions. It's also about, like, the actual facts about what this will cause. Is that what you're saying, Mac? Sorry, I just... So as you're pondering that, there was a, a sort of a couple of, I think like 2016 time, the whole sort of open startup movement started to really kind of take off where startups were openly sharing revenue numbers and metrics and churn and all of, all of, all of these kind of figures. There is generally it seems to be a move towards also being transparent about things like salaries with websites like well, what's it called like glass door or <laughs> glass ceiling whatever it's called um do you think like what's the difference between me posting revenue numbers from my business versus your salary being easily available on glass door versus 
a startup like, I don't know, Buffer sharing their metrics on Barometrics and connecting up to their Stripe so anyone can look at how much revenue they're making at any given moment. I think the difference is that with something like Glassdoor, there's a fairly unbiased sampling. Like there isn't a particularly strong reason why the top earners are going to be going on there and like showing off their their salary because it's all anonymous. But if you look at the spectrum of YouTubers, um, it's it's going to be the people who are like at the very top percentage who are actually going to be sharing these numbers. Or if it's the it's essentially startups uh, who are willing to share this stuff, it's going to be at the higher end because these people are going to be more comfortable sharing successes than like mediocrity or failure. And so I think it's it's internalizing this mistaken idea that this like this top one percent is actually representative of the hundred percent is problematic. I think. So, for example, if a YouTuber with one subscriber was just as likely to post revenue numbers as a YouTuber with a million subscribers, you think it would be fine? Yeah, in a world where that was generally true, in a, in a world where there was like a, a monthly YouTuber audit where you could see all of this <laughs> stuff uh, very easily. So, so a good example actually is um, on, on Medium, it's pretty, it's pretty easy to find some of the top writers kind of shouting about, you know, making uh, five figures or whatever off an article or, or per month or whatever. But Medium is actually quite transparent in terms of the breakdown, in terms of showing like, this percentage of people actually made over $10 this month, or this was the average revenue per writer or revenue per article. And I think that's that's much healthier because it doesn't set this standard or pressure that like, you know, it, you, you've got to be making like over a grand per article or something. It gives you realistic expectations because it's, it's an unbiased sampling of all the writers on the platform. Okay. Wait, so you're saying that it's pro- that this, um, this stuff might be problematic because... It's like just a bias sample. So people are getting the wrong idea about how achievable these things are. Is that it? Yeah, yeah. I think if someone like truly uh, knows Ali's been doing this for, for a long time, like appreciates the story and stuff, then it's fine for those people because they can contextualize it against like all the time it took to get to this point. But there are probably a lot of people who don't like have that full understanding and just see this as like, if you're doing YouTube, this is, or if you're making courses, like this is, this is where you should be. And you should be hitting these sorts of numbers. I'm not sure the time thing matters that much. Like there are people who have grown faster. There are people who have grown slower. Like, I don't know. Like I'm sure there are, I, I've personally been watching some YouTubers who have grown from like, I don't know, almost zero to like almost a million within like a year. You know, the, the, I, I, what, the time thing, okay. it feels like the time thing shouldn't matter because there are people who have kind of done it with a lot less time, right? So maybe I'll take that back. I didn't mean to imply that. I think it's more just important to kind of contextualize, like when you see the 1%, no, this is the 1% rather than think this is like, this is indicative of everyone Uh, who does this stuff. Okay, I see. Yeah. Is that, it feels a bit off to say that that is, for for, for that to be a critique, like, like, so, so for example, if like, if like a famous actor's if 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 you found out that Daniel Radcliffe was being paid, I don't know, sixteen million to feature in Harry Potter and whatever, would you know? Would l- people around the world really think, oh my gosh, all actors are paid sixteen million? Therefore, and 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 have like a skewed understanding of actor salaries. I think that with um, maybe because the idea of being an actor is a is much more long-standing in society and culture, and there, there are all these kind of tropes around like the unpaid actor working at the the coffee house or whatever. It's become much more internalized that like there is a long tail in terms of the distribution. It's, it's only a very small percentage of people who make it. Okay. The distribution argument just seems a bit off to me. I, I think what you're saying is true, but it feels like that. It feels like that's not why this is a problem. The reason as to why the sharing revenue numbers is objectionable. <laughs> sorry, I didn't hear both at once. Uh, we both said the same thing. <laughs> Come on, you say it again. Sorry. I said like the thing you're saying about the distribution is true, 
yeah, I'm I'm all about distribution. So if there's one thing I'm about, it's distributions. But I don't I don't think like it doesn't feel like that. That is actually the reason why this is bad. If it's bad, sure. Yeah, the, 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 there's nothing wrong with there being a distribution. It's people who uh, like see one far end of the distribution and don't realize it's it's one extreme, and they think that's like the normal. Um, and think that they have to hold themselves to that standard. And like, if they're, if they're not doing well, then or if they're not doing that well, this is some fault on their part, or they're just not good enough. Mm. I mean, so one of my tweets that I just tweeted, which is, is getting good engagement is, <laughs> why, uh, why did you say that? <laughs> he, he wants to show us on the top end of the distribution. Oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm saying it's getting good engagement because it shows that people are resonating with it. Uh, just had a look through my old analytics. It took me six months and 52 videos to get my first 1,000 subscribers on YouTube, lol. Really? Yeah. Bloody hell. I, I actually didn't realize that. I thought it was possible. Yeah. <laughs> 52 um, videos. That's yeah, literally videos. videos. I, w- I was counting my published videos. I, I painstakingly went through my analytics. <laughs> 52 videos, and I didn't have 1,000 subscribers. I got I had like 900 and something subscribers at that point. That's nuts. Okay, so let's put the... Dis- I think the distribution thing is true, and like, yeah, maybe this stuff is misleading. Maybe that makes it partly problematic. But it feels like that's not really like the core issue. Right, Mac? Come on. Come on. Do you want to tell me what the core issue is? All right. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, I think... All right. Here it is. I'm about to lay it out. All right. Here we go. <laughs> I think there is, a, there is a general issue, which is very much related to uh, criticisms people have of capitalism. It's very much related to my beef against workism. Um, oh, mate. Well... <laughs> I think one really funny thing about this trip is that <laughs> accusing each other of being workists is like the highest insult in this house. <laughs> like whenever someone proposes like a pool sesh and someone else is like, oh, no, I want to work. And then you like accuse them of being a workist and then they have to join you in the pool. <laughs> you manage your 2v2 volleyball every day. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, that's just quite funny. Anyway, I, th- I, think, I think there is a general really like fundamental issue around like what is your compass in life and i think there are loads of societal narratives telling you what your compass in life should be you know um a few hundred years ago it might have been related to religion these days it's related to work money all of this kind of stuff like there there at its core like society is trying to tell you what your compass should be and i think a key part of human flourishing is to figure out what your own compass is and not inherit whatever compass um, other people seem to be telling you about, right? And so I think, and this comes out, I think this touches on like lots of points of tension that you and I have had in the past, Ali, where, and yeah, it all leads back to Agnes Callard's book, Aspiration, where it's like, why are you doing the things you're doing? You know, why do we do the things we want to do? And I, I always like find it a bit cringy or problematic if it feels like the motivation for doing something is like extrinsic. And this comes back to what we were saying about setting these arbitrary goals for like random things. Oh, you know, arbitrary goals are good motivation, but then like it's all extrinsic. Like it's some weird compass. It's not your own compass. And I I think part of why, I I don't know, I'm not trying to state precisely what my position is here. I think transparency around stuff is often good. I think one reason why it might be bad is because it feeds into um, the societal narratives around what your compass should be. I actually bookmarked a tweet um, a couple of days ago or like yesterday or something um, by a guy who I thought was, actually wouldn't tweet something like this. Uh, he's, an, he's, he's a guy, um, 
do you follow him? His name is he's he's just published a book called Mind Management, not Time Management. Oh, Academy. Yeah, yeah, Academy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The thesis for the book seems pretty good. I quite like that. And I thought this. I thought he might actually be uh, more against this thing than he is than he seems to be. Anyway, here's a tweet. The tweet is: Don't make the thing happen. Do the thing that causes the thing. More followers, do great work. Podcast appearances, do great work. Great connections, do great work. A verified badge, do great work. You can't make your garden grow by pulling plants up from the ground. And I found this like horrendously problematic because the the implication is that the thing that you want is some external number. You know, followers, podcast appearances, TED Talk, connections, verified badge, and these are all these all like scream external compass that society is giving you and not your own internal compass and i think like succumbing to external compasses is like fundamentally the the issue i i think you've misinterpreted that slightly i yeah i agree i don't don't think he's saying that like he's not trying to set your compass he's just saying like if your compass is set in this place then like yeah yeah yeah, yeah, i start from the ground yeah i agree he's not he's not trying to say that more followers should be your compass or podcast appearances should be your compass but like saying something, uh, all right, maybe I, I he, m- maybe it's not great that he's like uh, not discouraging this type of thinking. If that's your point. Uh, yeah, I guess I, I'm not trying to shit on him. I, I don't care about shitting on him. But the fact that he says this very strongly suggests that it is incredibly widespread that people's compasses are more followers, podcast appearances, great connections, verified badge. Like the norm is for these to be the compasses. And that's why he's tweeted this. Okay, so you just like the fact that this tweet kind of makes sense rather than yes yeah 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 yeah. i'm not trying to show on the tweet i'm just trying to say that like i think the core issue here is like i think the core issue is is trying to like um impose a strong word because like it's not that intentional but reinforcing uh societal narratives around compasses oh okay i think uh, i i i agree with your line of reasoning but i think we're in that i feel we're in this realm where anything can then be abstracted away into societal narratives and problematic issues and intrinsic motivation. Like, you know, if you're in the business of teaching people how to lose weight, then it's very easy for you to be like, well, the fact that weight loss programs exist actually fundamentally ties into societal expectations that people should be thin. And that is problematic. Uh, or if I were to teach someone how to be more productive, it would be like, well, you know, the 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 implicit the implicit thing that you are subscribing to and promoting is the idea that productivity is important and the idea of workism and the idea of yeah. you know external metrics of success if you teach someone how to make money online it's like well you're promoting the fact that making money is a, a is important but actually money is just a social construct there are so many different in in basically any domain of life you can abstract this out and and therefore have an issue with anything that is not a pure kind of a city existence, sitting in a cave and sort of getting enlightened or whatever, like Naval. <laughs> like Naval. Yeah, no, that, that that's a fair point. I, yeah, I, yeah. Look, I, I'm not I'm not trying to make any black and white claims. I I guess like um, like things are on a spectrum, right? Like for example, I think one of them. I don't know. I actually don't know where I stand there. But like another example of this is like, um, yeah, I think some people are against. Um, you know, lots of big adverts uh, with like really attractive women um, who have like really good bodies or something because it encourages, you know, unrealistic beauty standards, right? That's, oh, that's yeah. also the same category of thing. Yes, agreed. Um, yeah, I, I wonder if sort of sort of dudes post posting sort of dudes with six packs posting topless photos on Instagram feel, feels like it's the same category of thing. 
ostensibly uh, so, so for example a lot of the uh, gymshark athletes that i follow would post these photos and for me i think damn that's really inspiring that makes me want to go to the gym because i want a six-pack mm. um but a lot of people might say well they shouldn't be posting that because they're actually the 0.01 percent of body fat percentages and therefore they're promoting unfair ideal ideal standards similar to max distribution argument <laughs> yeah Matt, what do you what do you think about like Male models. Male models. <laughs> he loves them. For the yeah, yeah, wrong podcast for this. <laughs> um, I, I, think, I think it kind of has to be evaluated on a case-by-case basis. And I think what matters most is how you feel on days where you don't go to the gym. If, if on those days you feel bad about yourself because you, you feel like you're not going to live up to the standard of the, the, the guys you've seen on, on Gymshark Instagram accounts, uh, then I think that's bad. And I think... Um, that's probably a, a reason to unfollow those people. Uh, but do you think that those people are wrong for posting those photos because there are some people in the population who would choose to, who would quote, quote choose to feel bad as a result of seeing those topless photos? That's what I'm trying to get at. Like, is yeah. me posting revenue numbers, you know, an 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 intrinsic bad thing, or is it one of those things where, so, you know, ninety percent of people who responded to my poll wanted to see those, ten percent of them didn't. Those 10% of people, you know, so, so, y- y- yes, granted, some people will feel bad as a result of seeing someone else's success. But is that a reason to not post the revenue numbers? So Knowing I think, that it's actually going to inspire 90% in some capacity. Sure. I, I guess I'm a little bit skeptical about that 90% figure. Like, it, it's it's very easy up front to say, like, yeah, I, I do want to see these motivational workout pictures. or I do want to see these revenue figures because they're going to make me work harder. But people are much less good at understanding the kind of broader and long-term impacts that has on them on those days where like they, they don't go to the gym or they, they cheat on, on a workout or they, they don't reach that same level of YouTube success. And so I don't want to be patronizing and say people like don't know it's good for them, but I, I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical of that 90% being like fully genuine. I think that's a really good point. I think that's a reasonable point. Yeah. Um, but even if we, if we, if, if we take the 90% off the, off the table, the, the, the question in the abstract here is, if something, if sharing something has a potential negative impact on someone, sort of by virtue of the story that they tell themselves about it, do you have a moral moral obligation to not share the thing? So I think on an individual level, the moral obligation isn't that strong right now because, like, if you're not sharing your revenue numbers, you only have to scroll down like a few swipes to find someone else on Twitter <laughs> who is sharing the revenue numbers. <laughs> And so, like, it's kind well, of a, it's it's kind a of photo. A, you just scroll down a little bit, and you'll find <laughs> you this photo. <laughs> it, it, it's a drop in the ocean of, of like, mental health and, like, uh, compasses and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's, it's a shame that, like, at large, society does focus on sharing these, like, external things rather than, like, people being happy that they've, like, uh, launched a good course or happy that they, like, are physically fit. I think that's a shame. But I don't, like... I, I don't think there's too much moral guilt on any like individual person who does this because I think that like counterfactually it's not going to make that much difference sure. really. Agreed. So, so what is actually your thinking when you're sharing the revenue numbers? If you break down and percentage wise your motivations. Uh, okay. Mostly marketing. Okay. Um, partly shock factor for marketing uh, sort of one, one level removed. All right. That sounds like marketing to me. <laughs> yeah um partly partly inspiring and partly just wanting to flex okay is there any reason why flexing is a good thing or is that just like an honest admission that it's oh no it's just an honest admission like you know i want fame i want money i like people to you know view me as being kind of inspiring such whatever you know the reason i 
again, it goes it, it it goes back to the elephant in the brain stuff. To like, to what extent do you want to admit to um, unsexy motives? Like, my unsexy motive for making the YouTube channel is because it, you know, it's nice to be famous for helping people out and stuff, and I like it when people attribute whatever you know, you know, some good things that happen in their life to me. That's the unsexy motive that most people wouldn't share. You know, if you ask authors why do you why do you write your books, they probably say something like, "Oh, because I want to share my knowledge with the world." To be like, "Okay, would you write them anonymously?" "Oh, no, I wouldn't do that." <laughs> okay, well, you know, there is always a flex element to absolutely every single thing that we do, and I am, I feel like I am more open to admitting it than other people would potentially. Um, it's a, yeah, it's always there. Like every basically everything we do in life has some has some sort of signaling component to it and i i i I can't in good conscience present pretend that it's not there but i don't think the fact that there is a slight the that that the fact that some percentage of the motive involves signaling is a reason to not do the thing because then most of us wouldn't be doing anything at all yeah I, i agree with that yeah yeah i really struggle with this and i was i've been thinking about this a lot on this trip of like what's the point of posting on social media? Like, is there any justifiable reason why I should be posting any of this stuff on social media? And the thing that I always think is that like, I feel like the flexing, the flexing aspect or rather the other people seeing it as a flex actually depends a lot on your relationship with them. So for example, I think for most people, if you were to see someone who was in your class, who is now, you know, sipping margaritas on his private island, you know, you might think, oh, what a, what a prick, you know, why is he like showing off his wealth or whatever? And maybe you'll feel bad that he's like, I don't know, wealthy or something. But if you see David Dobrik um, buying another supercar, you're like, oh, nice, nice one, Dave. <laughs> Good on you, son. <laughs> you know, like, I feel like the level of detachment makes a big difference. And I actually, specifically the thing I've been into minds about is whether to post sort of like pictures of myself and pictures slash videos of myself and all my friends on social media. I think in the past where my Instagram account was um, basically exclusively people from my school and people I knew in real life, like university and stuff. I think when that was the case, I didn't really do it because it felt like there's no, it felt like there's no good reason to do it. And there are, there are bad reasons, which is that some people would feel left out for not being, you know, part of, part of the group or something, right? Like, if you see a bunch of your classmates hanging out without you or whatever, you know, you might feel bad about that. And so it seems like there's, there's no good reasons to do it. There are some bad reasons um, not to do it or whatever. And so I didn't do it. But now I think things are slightly different given that almost all of my followers on Instagram are people I don't know in real life and they don't know me in real life. And so in the same way that I don't, I'm not like jealous of David Dobrik and I don't feel bad um, about him having lots of money or something like that. It feels like mo- given that most of my follow, I'm not trying to say like I'm, I'm David Dobrik to the people who follow me on Instagram, but it's a different relationship, right? It's cool. like, yeah. it's, it's a much more detached thing where I think it's much less likely someone would yeah. fall into the c- comparison type stuff. This is something that Alain says as well. Alain de Botton famously, he says that in his in his talks about romanticism or, or, or all of his things, he says that no one is jealous of the queen because she's just too weird. Like th- it's you know the the fact that she has more money than you and more land and owns all all the swans is not going to keep you up at night. But if your coworker gets a promotion and you don't, or if your classmate becomes successful and and you aren't, you feel that oh, right. you know y- you feel that sting. 
Um, I, think, I think he calls it the narcissism of small differences. Oh, that's a nice phrase. Yeah, I think we've talked about this on the podcast. But yeah, I, I think like the, the, the Mac, how do you think that changes things on the distribution stuff? Like, I think I'm personally much more likely to feel bad if like someone I know, for example, is... For example, David. <laughs> no. Nah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think I'm more likely to sort of draw comparisons and feel bad with people I know in real life rather than detached people who I follow on the internet. Sure. I think that um, it's not just as binary as this is someone I know in real life, this is someone who I follow on the internet. Like there are different degrees to which you can feel closeness to someone or like some sort of uh, relationship is maybe too strong. But yeah, like yeah, yeah. So, someone who's just like, uh, has just like never seen one of Ali's tweets before and sees one of the revenue figures is very different to someone who's uh, like seen a lot more of his stuff and kind of feels maybe even if it's one-sided, more of like a, a bond there. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that, yeah, if you're just coming across it for the first time, it's very easy to like discard it and not kind of internalize that stuff. But if you're someone uh, to whom like Ali is someone you look up to, um, it's much easier to internalize like this is what I should be doing. These are the numbers I should be hitting um, than it is if you're like far more detached. Mm. Is, is that the case? Like, for example, I've been following David Dobrik for, I don't know, over a year now or something. And I feel closer to him. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't feel like that makes me more likely to compare myself to him. Maybe if there was, I think maybe just his, his shtick is very different to my shtick, you know, maybe it's, um, it's some, something to do with the kind of facts about where you came from. So if, for example, imagine that he went to, obviously he's not from Essex, <laughs> if, if he went to the same school as you growing up and like, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You, you didn't know him at all. So there's no, like, mm. there's no personal relationship there, but you know that he's, he's come from the same oh, place okay. as you. Like, I'm not saying you'd instantly be jealous or like yeah, think yeah, differently yeah. of him in that case, but I think you would feel differently to where you just like have no. Yeah, no, no, I totally agree. I, yeah, I think that's what we were saying about like the narcissism of small differences. Like, if you're yeah, classmate, yeah, yeah, I think that's just kind of getting to the root of it. Okay, right. Okay, so okay, let's use another example. Um, when people buy nice houses and invite their friends over, you know. There's the obviously the, there's that phenomenon of, of of keeping up with the Joneses, which exists for a reason. Allow the narcissism of small differences. Is that as a is that objectionable as well? Well, if you have a big house and you invite your friends over, yeah, or and you or you or you actively clean your house before your friends come over to give the impression that your life is all put together, or you actively don't kind of air your dirty laundry with your family in public to give the impression that you have a vibrant a vibrant and cohesive family life. I think all the of reason- these are forms of signaling in yeah. one. Look, I think the, I think the cleaning the house and the not airing your dirty laundry. I think I, I don't know I don't know what your motivations are for doing either of those things, whether or not you do them. But I think most people's motivations for cleaning the house is uh, a sense of like respect towards your guests. And I think most people's intentions for not airing your dirty laundry in public is again a sense of like you're doing it for the other person's sake. Mm, I think on the cleaning house points, I, I I broadly agree with you, but I definitely. There have been times uh, where my mum has been very like insistent about cleaning certain things before guests come over, and like explicitly said, it's to it, it, it's for more like appearances' sake, oh, okay. and a kind of reciprocity of um, like keeping up appearances before you go over to theirs. And maybe that's a slightly older generational thing. I, I'm not entirely sure, but I think it's different people sort of different points in the spectrum. Okay, yeah, fair, yeah, it's yeah. So m- my point is simply that even in even in those circumstances, there is an element of signalling and an element of 
people might feel bad if they see that I've got a promotion. People might feel bad if they see that I've got an extra, I've just remodeled the kitchen. Is that a reason to not remodel the kitchen? <laughs> no, I think it's obviously not a reason. Mm. Yeah, which is which is the point I'm getting at. So, Sure, but there's a difference between uh, like remodeling a part of your own living space and putting something out on a on like a platform which is designed to share with others. Like when it's far more external in that sense. There's no like in the is same the way. Fact remodel- that my, is it the fact that only my close friends are going to see my kitchen remodel? Whereas if I posted a photo of it on Instagram, suddenly the world would see it. Yeah, it's not so much about the close friends. It's more that like there is an internal benefit just to you having like a nice new kitchen of getting your kitchen remodeled. I mean, yeah, um, there's an internal benefit to me of marketing my business through sharing revenue numbers. Uh, but not if nobody sees it. Well, yeah, there's marketing. People have to see the marketing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, okay, but if, if you just talk about like, actually, yeah, I guess, I guess you kind of, if you're saying you're doing it for the marketing, then. I mean, I think, I think what this comes down to is sharing revenue numbers feels like along the same spectrum of posting anything at all on social media that is not you crying in the bathroom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Like anything beyond you crying in the bathroom about how bad your mental health is, is flexing to someone in some degree or another. And all of these things are on the same spectrum. Tamor checking into Facebook just to say that he's in, in the Dominican Republic is flexing in, from, in to some degree. Mac, you posting a picture at the end of your Iron Man, I don't know if you do or not, but is 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 a flex to some degree. Me posting revenue numbers. There, there, there are no pictures posted, I can assure you. Yeah, Mac is actually not very active on social media. That's fine. <laughs> but for example, if Mac, your business was reliant on you being active on social media, at that point, like, you know, <laughs> this this is the things, these are the thoughts that have been floating around in my head for the last, last kind of few days. And actually, kind of for a lot longer since I first became okay with the idea of posting revenue numbers. And the calculation I made in my head was that this is going to inspire more people than it hurts. And raising the aspirations of others in that regard is worth more overall to me and I think to the world than the fact that some people are going to feel bad about it for a short amount of time. Sure. I think the only thing I'd say is kind of a rehashing of what I said earlier is that it's it's not as simple as saying like 90% of people think they're going to be inspired. Therefore, it's inspiring 90% of people. Like there are invisible effects which like either take a while to manifest or that people like don't immediately see themselves. And so it's, I think it's much, uh, the waters are much murkier than it can initially seem through a, through a Twitter poll on this. Yeah. Fair. I think maybe, maybe the, maybe the right way to think about it is, I think I've made this analogy before. Yeah. You know, it's a bit like how participating in any aspect of modern life requires you to destroy the environment a little bit by using some kind of, um, non-renewable resource or releasing some kind of carbon in the air. And like, just because everything we do kills the environment a little bit doesn't mean we shouldn't do anything. Like it's perfectly justifiable to, you know, have a house and have electricity. <laughs> you know, fly all the way to the Caribbean <laughs> just to have yeah. summer friends. <laughs> <laughs> These are all perfectly justifiable things, and maybe, and maybe, like, maybe the way to think about it is like, okay, I'm doing this thing which I think is broadly good. There are some bad aspects of it, and maybe I want to try and counteract those bad aspects. And so, environmentally, you know, um, you might want to like buy some carbon offsets to like capture as much carbon or some you know, proportion of the carbon that you are releasing by doing the activity that you're doing. Um, and so like, to be honest, yeah, I, I think like if I were being prescriptive and I, I'm being prescriptive, <laughs> um, <laughs> I think more people should, more people in your position should do more carbon offsetting when they're contributing to um, problematic society. things. I, I think there's a difference between carbon offsetting and like, this example of like setting false expectations possibly around success or something, um, which is that 
the, the point of carbon offsetting isn't that like I've done this bad thing, I will now do this good thing to make up for it. The point is that by carbon offsetting like a flight or something, if, if you upset if you offset like exactly the right amount of carbon, then there is no difference okay, yeah. in the world. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not like you've made one person happier and one person's sadder and that yeah. balances out. Like there is no difference, not just at a net level, there's just no difference. Yeah. Fine. And that's different from like uh maybe the the male model who like harms people long term by setting societal expectations that you should have this body but it also like uh takes charitable days at kids schools and like does nice things i'm I'm not saying just do nice things in general i'm saying like do do some work to like counteract the narrative that you're also reinforcing and and, like these things are a lot less tangible than like how many grams of carbon are you putting out in the atmosphere but i'm saying like you can you can fight the same force yeah i I just think it's a bit dangerous to think of it exactly in the same sense of carbon offsetting where you can like it, it completely offsets it rather than just like creates a benefit that is the same magnitude as the negative. I think it's interesting that you used Instagram model in this in this example because the way you phrased it was almost as was was as if it, it's a given that Instagram model, male model posting a six pack on Instagram actually harms society more than it helps. And I would just just like by default, I I would I would think it's the opposite that people posting their nice bodies that they have worked hard to get is a net benefit to society rather than a net harm. Uh, yeah, you're right. It's, it's not trivially true that someone posting that is uh, is a bad thing. Um, and I think it comes down to, again, like a, a, a person-by-person case. Like some people will have much more negative reactions when they don't live up to those kind of expectations than others. Some will be much more sterical about it. And for, for those people, maybe it's, it's far more acceptable because they have something to look forward to, uh, to look to and to inspire them, but don't kind of experience the same negatives but yeah I, I think it's it's complex you're right it's not like obviously a bad thing um but i think it, it, it certainly can be bad yeah so i think kind of coming back to the the premise we started at the start or at the beginning of this <laughs> kind of long tangent the, i think for me moving forward it's more like appreciate like having ha- just being more mindful of the effect that revenue numbers and subsequent and and similar flexes can have on some people and making an effort to turn it into like a an actively teaching slash positive slash sort of actively going out of my way to sort of a say that you know success is down to multiple factors including luck and unfair advantages in addition to multiple different things in addition to saying that well you know you shouldn't even be measuring anything by revenue anyway including well you know even even the word success is problematic uh, but if you, if you care about revenue then here are here are the steps that i took to, to, i took to get there and maybe sign up to my course to learn more <laughs> Rather than kind of dropping the numbers there as as a like huh, oh, this is awesome i think it's a tough one i think this is a deficit of a platform like twitter in this regard in that you don't have the space to communicate all of that stuff you can kind of communicate one or two things and in this case it, it's the revenue numbers and you can't like provide the full context around that yeah. And you can never really provide the full context because there's like so much context behind all of these things that sure, sure. even in like a freaking like hour long YouTube video, or hour long podcast, you can't, you can't capture all the nuance of it. And then there's the whole thing of, of well, people aren't going to stick around. And the people who will feel bad because of a revenue number are probably not the same people that will watch a half an hour long explanation of how that revenue number came to be. It, I, w- I would suspect they're probably the people who will feel, feel bad about it, t- turn Instagram off and I don't know, just, <laughs> you, you know, probably choose to not engage with the material whereas the people who are gonna who are uh primed to feel inspired by it are the people who are going to watch the video explaining how to, how to get there 
to an extent i agree but i think this also leads to some sort of implication that like the only people using these platforms if it's if it's this person follows in twitter or the person who follows the male model on instagram are the people who like are perfectly okay with this and i think there are plenty of people who are kind of almost by force of habit like will use these platforms and kind of subconsciously soak up these uh these compasses of like what they should be doing like in terms of how successful they should be on youtube or like how good their body should be and they don't kind of fully realize it so I, to, to add one data point to this, this happened a few weeks ago, but I kept forgetting to mention it on the podcast. I have a friend from real life. I think you've probably met him once or twice who used to follow on you, you on YouTube. And then I think when you posted the video about like getting the Tesla, <laughs> he didn't click on it and he just unsubscribed. <laughs> I think he said something like, oh my God, I don't want to see this anymore. <laughs> I think yeah, basically the reason, like the, the sort of feeling bad kind of thing. Yeah, and like, I think, I think. Look, I, I think you're definitely more honest than the vast majority of people about the intention to flex. But I, one thing I think you're not honest enough about is that a big part of your brand is kind of selling like lifestyle envy. You know, yeah, like the um, whole it's an aspirational lifestyle. Yeah, that like for, yes, you're also helping people in tangible ways by summarizing books and you know teaching them how to be productive. But at its core, like a huge part of the brand is like, this is my life. You know, this is, I live an enviable lifestyle. And I don't think you're honest enough about it. I, I'm sure you, I'm sure you'd be honest about it in a conversation like this, but I, I don't think you are explicit about that. And I think maybe it'd be. Like David Dobrik is not explicit about the fact that people watch his vlogs partly as a sense, because he has an aspirational lifestyle. Yeah. I think more people should be, you know, a bit more explicit about that. And be like, hey guys. I just want to let you know part of my brand <laughs> the aspiration is 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 the fact that i've i've crafted a lifestyle for myself that looks good on camera yeah like i i don't know what the actionable thing is but like it feel it feels like there's some element of uh dishonesty is a strong word but there's some element of dishonesty if you if you present yourself and if you say things like oh yeah i you know i'm just doing this to help people kind of thing and like people watch my videos because uh, I teach them how to be happy and more productive and shit like this. Well, so you think, I mean, I, 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 I have never once said I just do this to help people, but I take okay, it. Yeah. But, but you, you get my point, right? Like if it feels like that should be made a bit more explicit. If it feels like a more honest way to do it would in, in, in my introduction, instead of on this channel, we explore the strategies and tools to help live healthier, happier, more productive lives. I do an add on, uh, you know, and on this channel, <laughs> I, I showcase a camera-friendly, aspirational lifestyle that 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 you can feel envious about. Yeah, that's obviously an extreme example. But my point is, like, it's a nefarious force. It's not something. For example, this friend of mine who initially subscribed to your channel, he didn't he didn't intentionally subscribe to it for that reason. But it was clearly something that was you know chipping away at him. Mm -hmm. And at some point, he decided, no, this this is actually really bad for me. Like, it's definitely a force that exists. I think I don't know. Maybe just making making a video talking about it, addressing it, you know, talking about some of these things. I, I think, you know, podcast episodes like this are good for that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, I think just more people should be a bit more explicit about like, that's what's actually going on. Because I think a lot of people don't realize that's what's going on and they're sort of engaging in it. Yeah, that's a good point. That would make for an interesting video. And actually, what I think, I don't know if you remember this, but maybe like three podcasts ago, we had like a preamble at the start where we were both whining about how we always feel bad about not getting enough work done at the end of the day. And the number of like positive responses we had to that were like, 
I think the, the highest I, I remember of anything we've talked about on the podcast. And that was like the preamble to the episode. I had like multiple people, like one of my friends said that, man, listening to that was like therapy. It was like so good to listen to you guys be honest about that stuff. Mm. And so I think like people love it, man. Like these, these are like important things and like making them explicit rather than everyone pretending like everyone's really productive and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Making it explicit is a good thing. Yeah, I'm actually working on a on a video about a, sort of about this, which is like where I talk about the the various feelings and stuff associated, at, at the the various kind of thoughts and feelings at different points along the journey from like zero to a million subscribers, and things like hedonic adaptation and things like how numbers used to mean something and then and and, and how they stopped meaning something and like sort of just a real kind of open honest look at what it's like. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that'll be good. Mac, what do you think? Do you think being explicit about like these forces is a bit of a carbon offset? Uh, yeah, I, I think in a sense, maybe not literally, but I think yeah. that it's um, <laughs> it probably produces some carbon. So, you know, not literally. Yeah, yeah, cut it out. Um, I I think it's good, and I think it's easy to, to overestimate the number of people who are like already uh, kind of kind of understand this stuff. And, yeah, and yeah, I think. Certainly from the example you gave your friends, um, like the fact they're willing to kind of reach out and kind of express how useful this was for them to hear is certainly, I, I think maybe like a little bit of a tip of the iceberg and people, yeah. there are far more people that do appreciate the stuff than you might initially expect. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, one thought that, that came to mind was when, when your friend said, Hey, I've, I've actively decided that this is no longer good for me. I'm going to hit the unsubscribe button. That's like, you know, absolutely the way it should be. And you know, there are people that decide, like I did, that, oh, I'm getting fat. I'm actively going to decide not to go through McDonald's drive through every time I see the McDonald's logo. You know, that's how it should be. Um, but I'm not, I'm not sure it's bad for McDonald's to exist. <laughs> I think it's, a lo- I don't know. I, I think I, frame, I, frame, framing it I in terms- a lot more towards the individual making, making the decision about what's good for them. Yeah, 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 that's fine. Like, ultimately, that's what it comes down to. And framing it in terms of what's, what's bad or what's good, I think, is not the point because... Yeah. The point is, how can things be better? It might be very net positive right now, and it's still worth making it better, right? And like, I think it's not quite the same as the case of the McDonald's drive-through because there are certain things that people are not aware are going on, and I think this is one of those things. And I think you know, we talk about these things all the time on the podcast, and so maybe we have like a, a slightly skewed perspective of you know how how, how explicitly people are are aware of, of these things, but. Certainly in the case of this one friend, he wasn't explicitly aware that this was what was going on. At some point he realized he, at some point he figured out, I imagine there are plenty of other people who are not explicitly aware of it. And so making it explicit makes it, makes the situation better, right? Yeah. I'm not trying to say like, you're bad if you don't do it. I'm just trying to say, you know, there is this thing, there is this problem. We can make it better. That's it. Seems very reasonable. Mac? Yeah, no, I totally agree. Nice. It's not often I say that to you. It's not actually, and actually, so earlier today, uh, maybe like just before we started recording this, uh, I was talking, Mac and I were talking about like the, the kids stuff and like how to frame a few things in the manifesto. And I got Mac to say, I'm sympathetic towards what you're saying. <laughs> and that felt so good. <laughs> Man, that felt so nice. good. <laughs> I haven't felt that way in a long time. <laughs> Because usually, and on this trip as well, it's mainly been me <laughs> <laughs> honking on about stuff and you completely disagree. 
<laughs> or yeah, maybe I, you don't I, completely disagree, but you only voice the stuff you disagree with. <laughs> you don't voice I, the stuff. I, I think the disagreements are fun, though. Like, yeah, no, I think like, it's fun. down, we enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we both... Like, I, think I, we I like both to think that I've been invited back by popular demand to the podcast, but really it's just because I keep disagreeing <laughs> with you. Yeah, no, I, I, th- I do enjoy the disagreements, but... But just like, <laughs> it's hard to get an agreement out of you. And so when it, when it does occasionally happen, <laughs> it feels really good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. I feel like we've reached some some kind of conclusion regarding carbon offsetting, um, <laughs> but not in a literal sense, Mac. Uh, <laughs> should we uh, read a review out? <laughs> uh, yeah, my phone is recording this, so you have to do it. Okay, let me find, let me find a cheeky review. Also, so on, on Zencaster... It looks like you don't have any audio waveforms on, at least on my end. Are you shitting me? Are there oh, audio they, waveforms they, they, on my end? end? Yeah, yeah, they do. Okay. But they, they disappear, right? Oh, no, they, they disappear if you change the... If you they want. disappear after a bit. Yeah, I, I think it's fine, dude. I think it's fine. Okay, kind of, fingers crossed. This, this will work. Um, find some... Uh, find a review. While we're doing that, I have an insight that I'd like to share this week. Uh, it's a tweet that I'd done just a moment ago. Um... It's a highlight from a uh, PDF. This guy observed some young children, and he said, uh, "He said young children are. I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I think uh, I didn't quite frame it this way. Young children are often uninterested in conversation. They want to be on the move, and they are often bored at the prospect of hearing words and being expected to use them. Uh, it's not that they don't have feelings and ideas or the need to express them. Indeed, their games and play, their drawings and finger paintings, are full of energetic symbolization and communication." It is simply that, as one eight-year-old told me, talking is okay, but I don't like to do it all the time the way grown-ups do. And I thought it's kind of weird that when you're a kid, like when you're hanging out with your friends, maybe like 80% of the time spent playing and maybe 20% is spent talking. Whereas as an adult, when you're hanging out with friends, it's like 5% playing, if that, and 95% talking. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to suggest that like it should be exactly the same for kids and adults, but it, it feels it feels, it feels like weird. there's a problem and we can make it better. Uh, and yet, yeah, it feels like guys that play some board games, you're like, no, man, the vibe's good. Let's just continue talking. I'm going to at you every time you say that. Like when we were kids, we played and we didn't speak. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe, you have, maybe there's some merit to your, your insistence on always playing articulate. It's not always. It's my insistence on play because <laughs> we don't stop playing because we grow old. We grow old because we stop playing. All right, good stuff. Why don't you read a review? Re- the, the review is Psychology of Money Review, five stars from UK Gasman on the 26th of <laughs> October. Oh, well, maybe Gasman. Yeah, I think, yeah, UK Gasman. Uh, I'm new to the podcast, really enjoyed this book review, and it has directed me to buy the book on Audible. Overall, very impressed with the quality of your thoughts slash discussions. I also love the way you and your brother call each other out on the comic, on the comments you make. Very entertaining. Keep it up, smiley face. Nice. Great. Oh, thank you for that, UK Gasman. And uh, we'll see you guys next week, potentially. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on the Apple Podcasts website if you're not using an iPhone. There's a link in the show notes. If you've got any thoughts on this episode or any ideas for new podcast topics, we'd love to get an audio message from you with your conundrum, question, or just anything that we could discuss. Yeah, if you're up for having your voice played on the podcast and your question being the springboard for our discussion, email us an audio file mp3 or voice note to hi at notoverthinking.com. If you've got thoughts but you'd rather not have your voice played publicly, that's fine as well. Tweet or DM us at N Overthinking on Twitter, please. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.